0: of Jesus Christ has been given there is no more sacrificing that sacrifice is sufficient for our sins and we're grateful that we can serve this God this morning we ask your presence in uh, the youth camp out this morning and the message that Lyle will preach there we ask that you would be faithful there and bring a message that would bless them as well in their service and Wherever. We pray for the Arthur congregation this morning and the person that preaches there, mm-hmm. and where your message is preached throughout the world, it would, there would be faithful servants, faithful preachers willing to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Christian greetings to each of you this morning. It definitely looks um, to me like you're missing the youth. I've been here enough that I noticed that the youth are gone and, and uh, just a few weeks ago, our youth were gone for a weekend. And we missed our youth. I told the congregation the singing sounded great, but not as good as when the youth are there. And so I don't know how it is usually here, but... Um, actually gives a, a privilege sometimes to preach when the youth are gone that people don't realize or, or tend to think that that we're preaching at the youth. Because, you know, we're all called to the grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's for all of us. That never stops. We're, we're, we're called to continue to grow therein. So when I considered all the, the events, um, that your congregation went through, considering the funerals, your nation, I, I didn't know what we should be speaking on. You know, these times, they, they, uh, they, can, they can do one of two things. They can make us better, or, or they can draw us closer to the Lord. And, and I trust that as a congregation, you have been drawn closer to the Lord. So my, uh, my heart goes out to you as a congregation for what you have all gone through. At the same time, when I then also think of an ordination you had so shortly after the funerals, um, God has a way of preparing our hearts for special occasions in his work. And I when, I, when I think of an ordination, I think of, of that as, as an event that is for a whole congregation to grow in. Because we're all called to seek the Lord um, vibrantly for that, because the scriptures clearly teach that we are called to call out from among us. So it is a congregation's responsibility. Congregation has a very large responsibility in that. And I would understand you as a congregation did just that. You took it seriously and you sought the Lord and the Lord answered your prayer. And we trust that the, the Lord answers correctly and we put our trust and faith in that. So this morning, the subject title that I have is True Repentance. And you might wonder why I put the word true in front. And that is simply because not all repentance is true. I want to look at that this morning. You know, everybody is sorry for the wrong they've done. But is that good enough? Is that true repentance? Is being sorry for for our sin good enough? I want to look at some of those things this morning. And so, since... Most of the youth are not with us this morning. This is for all of us. It is not just a message for youth. This is for all of us as we go through life. And as Peter said at the end of his epistle, he said, you know, we need to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so we want to do that as we look at his word. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, we have, uh, we have uh, an example of true repentance and that of a man that was one of the most unlikely candidates of finding the Lord in this way. I'd like to read the account we have here in Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter, against the disciples of the Lord, went and Unto the high Priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem and as he as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, "Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me?" And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth. And when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into a street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard of many of this man, how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the high, uh, the chief priests to bind all that call on the name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes, as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose, and was baptized. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading. We'll stop reading there for now. As I mentioned before, Paul was probably one of the most unlikely candidates in that time to become a believer. And while I think of it, I want all of us to be challenged in the fact that we never, never give up on any soul. Because all things are possible with God when people truly repent and yield their life to Him. And so, to our shame, at times, we tend to think there's just no hope for a certain individual. God, help us that we would never go there and lose hope. When there is breath, when there is life, there is hope that someone will find the Lord for their Savior, for their Jesus. Saul here had went to the high priest for a written permission to arrest the believers. Um, And so as he was traveling up to Damascus, the road to Damascus was a very rugged road. I believe it was approximately 150 miles. And and obviously Saul was very uh, committed. He was determined. And, and uh, as a side note, you know, the Lord can use committed people, can't he? And so we need to be challenged. Are we really committed? And what are we committed for? And so when we look at the account here, how he uh, traveled and so on, you know, it's how it all happened is not really that important. Um, um, but how Saul responded is important. And so that's what we want to look at here this morning. When we go back here to uh, verse... Oh, let me find it here. Okay. When he said here, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And for some reason, I am not finding it. I thought I had it highlighted, but I have so much stuff highlighted in my Bible. Verse 6, thank you. And he trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And then the Lord said, he said, arise and go. First of all, I'd like to look at the attitude here, the response from him. He recognized God for who he is. And you know, as long as we don't recognize God for who he is, we will not um, get to know him. We will not be able to truly, uh, in, in full repentance, come to him unless we recognize who he is. Saul recognized God for who he was. And then he goes on, and he says, "Arise and go," and that that just blesses me. How how he, um, you know, he was he was obedient to the response. He was completely resigned. He was willing to do whatever God called him to do. And unless we are willing to be to go, unless we are willing to go outside of our comfort zone, we cannot properly grow. In in. Uh, in, 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 our, in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as I had mentioned before. Unless we are willing to be stretched outside of our comfort zone. Paul here had an attitude of repentance. He had an attitude of obedience. And, and that's what true repentance is. What our Lord did here is he clearly, he clearly showed Saul that he was on the wrong road. He clearly showed him that he was on the wrong road, and 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 Saul or Paul, as we know him, he was willing to get on the right road. So often, we we um, you know we're wanting to, but we're not willing. There is a difference. There is a difference. We may want to, but we're not willing. A number of years ago, there was this lady that was driving at night. <clears throat> And she was driving on the wrong, um, uh, on, down the road, and, and, uh, and, and she met um, a car coming on her side of the road, right at her. And uh, she pulled off on the shoulder, and, and she, she laid on the horn when the car went past, and wondering if she should be reporting this individual. This is late at night, after midnight. And uh, then she came to a, uh, an intersection, a busy intersection, and people went around her, her uh, kind of weirdly, went around her there in the busy intersection. And she was thinking, you know, it's hardly safe to drive at night, at this time of night, after midnight. And so, she kept on driving. And you know, all of a sudden, she realized that she is on the wrong side of the road. You see, Laura had just got back from Grenada. And in Grenada, they drive on the left side of the road. And so Laura was driving home after midnight on the wrong side of the road. And while she thought everyone else is out too late at night, maybe she was. So, stay out of her way, because Laura may lean on the horn if you get in her way. Now, notice here, she was very willing to get on the right side of the road when she caught on. But it's very important that we realize that that being on the wrong side of the road is a dangerous place to be in life. And so, Paul here, or Saul, he was willing to... In, in verse 6 here, it says, Arise and go. And what did he do? He got up in his blindness. Losing his sight there, he was willing to get up and go. Obedience. True obedience. And that is part of uh, true re- repentance. And so they went to Damascus. And he had no idea what was ahead of him, I don't believe, when he went to Damascus. And so... Um, True repentance brings compliance, it brings cooperation, it brings submission, it's it's all part of obedience. And when I um, um, work with people that may have erred along the way, one way to to really know if they have truly repented or whether they're only sorry for their sins is if they're willing to go wherever they are. They are asked to go. Then we know that they have truly repented. Because we cannot hold anything between us and God. There's no room for that. Now notice here that in verse 9 it says, And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. So he was fasting there for three days. He was, I believe, seeking the Lord's will in his life. And then... In uh, dropping down here to verse 17, it says here that he says, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, do you notice that he is called a brother? When someone repents, truly repents, they immediately become saved and they immediately become a brother. We have to accept people that way. We have to encourage him in that way. And it says he was filled with the Holy Ghost. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. And then in verse 18, notice that he was baptized. He was, um, well, let's read it again. And immediately there fell from his eyes, as it had been scales, and he received sight forth, forthwith and arose and was Baptized. Again, being obedient to the scriptures. He was willing to be to be named as one of the believers. He was not ashamed. And that is sometimes the biggest drawback to us as individuals. You know, we, we were not willing to be publicly um, recognized and, and God help us because we are called to be a part of Christ's believers. Publicly proclaiming the word that whosoever will can be saved before it's forever too late. And now if we go on here, um, if we would continue reading here, and I don't think we will for the sake of time this morning, but, but reading on here, you'll notice that Saul proves his repentance by publicly proclaiming um, the right way. Now he's using all the dedication and the seal that he had in his life prior to becoming saved, he is using that for the Lord. And he's walking in the newness of life on the right road, on the highway of life. And that's the challenge that we need to ask ourselves. Are we truly walking on the highway of life? What do we do when we find ourselves entering the wrong ramp, going on a highway? You probably never have, but I know some people that have. What do we do? Are we turned the wrong way on a one-way street? You know, that can happen if we, if, if we kind of lose our focus. Are we simply driving down the wrong side of the road like Laura? What do we do? Immediately, we try and get on the wrong, uh, uh, off the wrong road onto the right road and go the right way. And you know, there is only one way. And that is the right way. Don't just sit there and lean on the horn. That's not safe. We need to, as quick as possible, get ourselves out of the danger zone. And we may need to take, make a complete U-turn, quickly, to get out of the danger zone. And, if we have if our error has involved other people, suppose you were in a car accident, you don't just get in your car and drive away. When there was damage done to the other individual, we need to make our things right. We need to take responsibility for our own actions, and, and likewise, in our spiritual life. That is part of true repentance is taking responsibility for our actions. The same. When we find sin in our lives. You know, we need to repent. We need to be right with the Lord. We need to get right with the Lord. And sometimes that includes taking a complete U-turn in our life. And getting back on the right highway. The highway of life. Driving the wrong way is the leading cause of catastrophes. In uh, both physically and spiritually. In fact, I read that. That... Driving down the road the wrong way is the leading cause for catastrophes on the road. And likewise, it is spiritually. And so it is important that we seek the right way of life. A few years ago, an older man and his wife, they lived right beside the highway or the freeway. I'm not sure what you call them down here, but either way, a big road, a four-lane highway. Okay? He lived there. He farmed beside this highway. As far as I know, most of his life. This man just passed away uh, a week or two ago. I believe he was almost 100 years old. And while he was um, uh, quite old at the time of this accident, at least we thought he was well and and alert, he got things mixed up. And right close to their own house, he, he entered the wrong ramp going on that highway, and his wife was killed when they hit um, the first oncoming vehicle. And he lived for many years in this uh, situation, and it was difficult for him, you know. He was going the wrong way on the highway, and it cost a life, thankfully not spiritually, but in this case physically. And you know, likewise spiritually, it can happen so quick if we're not careful. And, and uh, let's be careful that we choose the right ramp when we get on the highway. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts, uh, Sorry, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, we have another example that we'll very briefly look at. In Luke 18, we have the parable here of the Pharisee and the publican. Okay, here we, um, and beginning in verse 9, it says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not, as other men are, extortioners, unjust, idolaters, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house, justified rather than the other. For every one that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Well, I'm sure this is a familiar account. To many of you. But you notice here. That it says that he humbled himself. And that is the key ingredient. That is so often. One of our biggest obstacles. Finding true repentance. Is humility. We need to acknowledge. Our own need. In great humility. So now. I have a question for you is true repentance an absolute is it an absolute it is matthew matthew 3 verse 2 maybe we'll turn there i i think it's uh i think it's important that we recognize because so many so many people so many unfortunately so many people are not are repre- uh, preaching repentance in today's world. It is important that we understand the value of true repentance. So John the Baptist, when he came on the scene, and he started preaching, the first thing he did is he said here in verse 2, he said, and saying, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is the beginning of the ministry of John the Baptist. Now, turn with me to Matthew 4, since we're so close. Matthew 4, verse 17. Here we have an account of Jesus beginning his ministry. And he says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus basically comes along and he confirms what John the Baptist had already preached. If we would turn to Luke 13, he says, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Is repentance an absolute? Absolutely it is. And then turn with me to Acts 2. I like this account in Acts chapter 2. When we have uh, the day of Pentecost. Acts 2. Verse 37. We'll read a few verses here. Beginning in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Well, that's a good attitude to have. You know, that's the same attitude that Paul had or Saul did at that time. And that's a... um, I heard a preacher say one time... That's the congregation I want to have. Well, we have to make that personal. We all have to make that personal. Let's continue reading. Then Peter said unto them. Now notice the attitude that the people had. And then Peter responds and he says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the Holy Ghost. Or the gift of the Holy Ghost. And let's read verse 39. Yet. And the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so we, here we have um, another account of Peter here. Preaching on the day of Pentecost that we must repent. Acts chapter 3. He further confirms that again. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. This morning, I trust that as you have become a believer, and that you're on the right highway of life, when you're on the right road, on the highway of life, that you're experiencing the times of refreshing that it talks about here. You know, it's speaking here, about the presence of the Lord, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And for what you as a congregation have gone through in individual families, there is a promise here. That is, if we believe that there will be times of refreshing coming from the presence of the Lord, there is no better place to be than in the will of the Father. And that is not necessarily always easy, but there is a promise That if we continue faithful. That we will experience a time of refreshing. And so here again. He says repent repent ye therefore. And be converted. And actually it's speaking here. Of being made into something new. God wants to make something new out of us. And be converted. So is repentance an absolute? I trust we're all agreed. Absolutely it is. Now. I mentioned in the onset, the question, you know, or the thought of just being sorry for our sins versus true repentance. Um, Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. And we want to notice this scripture here. 2 Corinthians, chapter 7. Verses 9 and 10. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Repentance starts with a godly sorrow. But only being sorry is not good enough. So again, I ask, have we really repented of our past sin, or are we just sorry that we have lived in sin? Turn with me back to Exodus. and I, We have a, a, a real good account here of an example of Pharaoh in this situation in uh, Exodus chapter 9 verse 27 here it is and this here is at the, the plague of the hail it would have been the seventh plague and so in verse 27 here, and Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron, and said unto them, "I have sinned this time. the Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked." Pharaoh acknowledged God for who He was. Pharaoh was sorry that he had sinned. Was he repentant? No. How do we know? It's because he didn't get on the right road. Acts uh, sorry, Exodus 10. In uh, verse 16. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste. And he said, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once. And entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. Now he's really acknowledging his sin. Was he repentant? Was he truly repentant? His acknowledgement here was for his own benefit. That's what he's really doing here. In verse 17, read it again and notice that. Now therefore forgive, I pray thee, my sin, only this once, and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me His death only. It's still about himself and himself only. Judas well let's read Matthew 27 the account of Judas. Another example Matthew 27 verses 3 to 5 Judas here also was sorry of what he had done. And then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself, in my center column it says, felt remorse, and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned, and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See out to that. In other words, they were simply telling him, you take responsibility for your actions. And then in verse 5, and he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. So, another situation where he was sorry, but in this situation he was not repentant. In other words, he didn't get on the right road. If Jesus would again return in like fashion as he did before and he would start preaching, what do you think that he would begin his preaching about again? Do you think it would be any different? I don't think so. The call is the same as it was back when Jesus first began his ministry on this earth. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It has not changed. The message has not changed. I suspect he would start all over, just as he did the first time. The message is the same for us today as it always has been. And then in Matthew 3 verse 8, it says, bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. In other words, he's saying here, bring forth fruits that are a proof of your repentance. Or the results of repentance. And then, of course, you know, the fruits, as they're mentioned there in Galatians. And and, and it talks there about love, joy, peace, and and, long-suffering, and gentleness, and goodness, and faith, and meekness, and temperance. Are we producing these kinds of fruits in our life? The scriptures say that we know a man by his fruit. And that fruit is not something we can produce on our own. Our own righteousness is but filthy rags. But unless we have allowed the Lord Jesus to totally convert us into something new, and then the righteousness that flows from us is from Him, not from us. And then He is glorified, and not us. It's not about us. Are we on the repentant road I praise God for his provision to mankind. God has made provision since the beginning of time. He's been in the business of providing for people. In fact, I think that's the only reason he created the world the way he did. It's so you and I can function here, so we can breathe, and so we can bring glory to him and his holy name. Let us consider what the word says. Lord bless you all for being here this morning. And one reason I like to speak on a subject like this is when the youth are gone is so we don't think or the youth don't think it's only for them. It's for all of us. As long as God grants us life. May we think on the things that are holy and true and honest and of good report. Let's have a kneeling prayer. Dear God, our Father, we thank you for who you are and your interest in mankind and the